Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Well, tonight we're going to get back to the book of Revelation. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. We're still in chapter 1, though. So, uh, and if you've missed a couple of them, uh, they are on the iTunes uh, account, SoundCloud, whatever. Uh, So if you haven't been able to be with us, you can uh, go and listen to it that way. But Tonight we're going to pick up where we left off in Revelation and we'll start at verse 4. And tonight we're going to look at the fact that God is... uh, We continue to look at the fact that that God is worthy of our praise and worship. And we consider this as as we think about the angelic... uh, Worship of God around His throne that's found in Revelation chapter 4 about uh, how uh, the angels uh, surrounding the the throne of God uh, declaring, Holy, Holy, Holy. And tonight we think of the second person of the Trinity in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and why He is worthy of worship. And when we think of worship, we think of a lot of different things. Uh, Many times uh, uh, we'll talk about how uh, we have (coughs) worship and then we have uh, some preaching. And uh, that's not really what worship is. Worship, uh, uh, we think about it, when we think about worship though, we think usually about the songs that we sing and the, the things that we do before we get to the preaching part. And, um, that says a lot about our theology of worship, our understanding of worship, of how, uh, we worship God. And if we, uh, think of this, view of worship in this way if we think uh, you know we 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 think about uh well i i uh didn't particularly care for worship this week because i didn't really feel as though uh the spirit of god was there or uh we'll say you know i was really into worship this week because i really uh, had a, a presence of god in my life and really uh uh, if we think about worship in these terms, if we think about worship in terms of how we feel, uh, then uh, we're looking at worship all wrong because uh, if you think about, uh, you know, uh, worship is not about how we feel because sometimes we don't always feel uh, like worshiping. We don't feel as though we've worshiped. Uh, there's a lot to be said about uh, worship in terms of doing more than just going through the motions. Uh, one of the things that I had a real hard time with uh, when I was a student of uh, religion in college was uh, there was a particular year I took a class about different uh, religions. And, and we had to look at, at those religions not in terms of this is how to tear them down and destroy them and all that kind of thing. That wasn't our objective. It, our objective was is uh, what makes them different from us and what is it that, what is their theology of God and, and how are we 
making sure that we're not falling away from God. You know, there's a, a real uh, danger when we get in the habit of doing things the way we do things. We can get into the habit of worshiping God in a certain way, of lighting candles or, or singing songs or uh, doing certain things in our worship uh, that it becomes our worship gets centered around doing those things rather than centered around God. Our worship is to be centered on God and if, we're, if, we're, if our worship is based on how we feel, well, I don't feel like I worship God this week, or I don't feel like we didn't have church, like some people would say. We didn't have church because we didn't have, uh, the preacher didn't slam his hand on the pulpit, or, or he didn't shout and scream, and ho- or didn't jump a pew, whatever it is that you, socialize, uh, that you uh, associate with having church then that's wrong because it's all centered on how you feel. And when you think about it, you're, and when you analyze it, you're, you're, uh, you're focusing your worship on yourself. I didn't feel like we had worship because we didn't do this. I didn't have that tingle in my body or I didn't, I didn't see the sparkle in the pastor's eyes this week, so we didn't have church. That's all based on how you feel. Well, that's... Uh, a self-centered worship. We're to be God-centered. We're to be centered. We're to be focused on God and focused on how uh, on on worshiping Him. When we're when we're focused on Him, then we are worshiping God uh, in the appropriate way. Who God is helps us to understand who we are. And what God has done to uh, ha- helps us to understand how we're able. Uh, and called, we're called to worship. Look, we're not. It, we don't just simply come into church and sit here for an hour and then go home and feel well. I did my. I did my part. Did my part. I was in church. I sat in the pew. I was there. I did. I'm. I feel good about myself. I put put a check mark beside my name for this week because I was at church. Well, that's a self-centered attitude about worship. That's a self, uh, you know, we come to worship God because He's worthy of our worship. We come to worship God because we're called to worship. God demand, and and you know, we looked at that some when we looked at Psalm one fifty and how uh, we are called to worship God, and and really we are commanded to worship God because He is worthy of our worship. And we need to understand God and His worthiness to be worshipped. And uh, then uh, we can learn uh, what God commands me to do in worship. If I, if I say to myself, I'm going to understand God and His worthiness, then I'm able to understand how God calls me to worship Him and what He demands of me in my worship how I should worship. We need to align ourselves with what God says about worship and how we're to worship so that we can truly fully worship God. Tonight we're looking at 1 John uh, and verse 4 and we come to this 
uh, passage of Scripture, we can clearly see that uh, Jesus is worthy of our worship. And, and uh, John writes about this in these verses. Look at what he says. Verse 4 of chapter 1 says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from Him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in our own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, what we see at first here is a very typical greeting that John gives. It's a, really a, a, a Hebrew and a Greek style of greeting when he says, uh, 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 grace and peace to you. This is typical of, of the type of greeting, but what we need to notice from the very beginning here is that one, two, three, one, two, three, that waltz that is that we talked about a week or so ago in terms of the uh, the uh, of how we're moving through this book of, of God. Uh, he says, grace and peace to you, which is from uh, uh, which is uh, from Him which is and which was and which is to come. One, two, three. Is, was, and is to come. And he's talking about God there. And from the seven spirits which are before His throne and from Jesus Christ. So from God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. One, two, three. And Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of kings on the earth. And one, two, three. And He loved us. He, uh, what else does He say? He washes us of our sins. And it has made us prince and kings. One, two, three. One, two, three. You see this this repetition of the one, two, three, this, this, uh, and and we, you see the Trinity here in the Scripture, from God the Father, from the one who is, uh, who is to come and who was. That's uh, a declaration of uh, the same thing that's seen over here in in Revelation chapter four, where the the uh, the beasts are around the throne with multiple eyes and they're declaring holy, 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 the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. Talking about God the Father. That's a direct reference to God the Father. So we have this uh, uh, image of God the Father in... uh, Let's look at that in Revelation 4, verse 8. It says... And the four beasts, which uh, with each of them with six wings uh, about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest day and night. Uh, they rested not day and night, saying, "Holy, holy, holy, Lord God, which is, uh, which was, and is, and is to come." So these beasts are all around the throne of God, and they are all declaring that He is. Uh, the one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come. Uh, so 
we see here the that uh, Jesus Christ is is a clear image of of uh, God, and this reference to uh, Jesus Christ, and the reason why we have this this image of the Trinity here of uh, who the God the Father, the spirits, and Jesus Christ is to help us to understand that. Uh, he is the eternal God. We worship Him because He is the eternal God. The image of the Father and the Spirit and the Son uh, all point to the fact that uh, that He is God. And you have the and let, let me just address this about the seven spirits. And it says, uh, "Grace be unto you and peace." from Him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of kings of the earth. So you have God the Father, and you have seven spirits, and you have God the Son. And what I believe here is is that this is uh, the Holy Spirit. uh, This is not an image of angels uh, around the throne of God, but this is the Holy Spirit. You have to understand that John is uh, referencing uh, the Spirit of God as the seven spirits because seven is the number of completion. So when he says the seven spirits, it is complete perfection of the Spirit. And so he's saying that this is, uh, in essence, this is the Holy Spirit. This is, uh, you don't have the image of God, the Trinity of God, and you have God the Father, angels, and God the Son. You have uh, uh, you don't have that image of the, of the Trinity in that way. You have God the Father, the God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You have uh, so this was not uh, a image of angels, but it is the image shows Jesus as completely a part of the Trinity of God. That you have God the Father, the one who is, who was. And is to come. You have God the Holy Spirit, and you have Jesus Christ. This is also affirming who Jesus Christ is. You have uh, He's not just simply uh, uh, like God, like some face would have you uh, imagine that He, uh, that Jesus aspired and became like God because of things that He did. You have an image of Jesus, not that He is just near God, that He has attained a, a nearness to God because of, of uh, the things that He did or, or His attitude towards God or anything like that. He is God. He is God because He is there with uh, uh, God the Father, God the Son, uh, God the Holy Spirit, and He is God Himself. Verse six: He is uh, God. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He is the eternal God, and so we see that first and foremost that Jesus is worthy of our worship because He is the eternal God. He is uh, God uh, the Son. Secondly, we see that we are to worship Jesus Christ because He is the faithful witness. In verse 3, uh, it's, look with uh, uh, um, verse 4, I mean. He is, 
He is the verse five. Uh, boy, I'll get it one of these days. Uh, I'll just number. I'll list all the the verses, and one of them will be right. Uh, verse five. Look with me. It says, "In Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead." So we see that Jesus Christ is not only God incarnate; He is God, uh, the eternal God, but He is also the faithful witness. This shapes how we worship uh, who God is. He is. Uh, the faithful witness uh, he is the f- faithful witness because of his infallible character, his nature uh, of who he is uh, john four uh, sixteen uh, John fourteen six says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus Christ said that uh, in revelations three fourteen uh, we also see uh, just flip over there. And Jesus says, And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea, uh, these, write these things, these things which the Amen, the faithful and true witness, uh, the beginning of the creation of God. So this uh, this beginning of the creation of God, I know thy works, and thou art neither cold nor hot, and I would thou, that thou wert cold or hot. So this is Jesus Christ Himself speaking these words, and He is the the infallible character of Jesus Christ, of who He is, His nature. He understands us. He knows our hearts. Uh, he is also the faithful witness because of His role as the second person of the Trinity. Um, When uh, and that speaks to the aspect of whenever uh, anything was uh, verified as truth in in biblical times, when you had uh, uh, whether or not someone was uh, telling the truth about something, there was always the requirement of two or three witnesses who spoke uh, to something. Uh, turn back with me to John chapter 18 for a minute and uh, verse 37 says, And they told him uh, that Jesus of Nazareth passed by and he cried saying, Jesus, thou art the son of David. Have mercy on... Let's see, that's Luke. So that would not be the right place. No wonder it didn't sound right. Uh, John is where I'm looking. John 18, verse 37. I was about to say, where does it get good? Uh, Pilate therefore said unto him, Thou art the king then. And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth, and everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And so Jesus Himself says, I am the truth, He says, and if you've heard my voice, you've heard the truth. He came into the world to bear witness of the truth. And so He is the faithful witness of God. He is also... uh, He's also the faithful witness because of his divine mention, uh, uh, divine mission. It points him as the faithful witness. Stay there in John for a minute. Uh, John chapter eight, though, verse fourteen it says, "Jesus answered and said to them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know." Whence I came and whither I go, 
But ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Uh, ye judge after the flesh, and I am the I judge no man. And yet, if I judge, my com, uh, judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. His uh, his divine mission is to uh, uh, pointed out in his character. He cannot lie. He's faithful, and so this uh, this aspect is also uh, referring to the fact that of his. Um, f- being a faithful witness. And so this He shapes our worship because of the fact that He is... Uh, His Word is true. His mission is to point us to God and to help us to understand God's uh, relationship to us and to allow us to have our relationship with God in what He does. <coughs> Thirdly, I want you to understand that Jesus is worthy of our worship because our worship is an expression of who He is. John here in in Revelation chapter 1 says that uh, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness and He is the first uh, first begotten of the dead. He is the firstborn of the living and the dead. He overcame death through His resurrection, after He was nailed to the cross of Calvary and He uh, was buried and He rose on the third day, uh, overcoming death. He is the firstborn of those who are uh, to overcome. So he, uh, the Bible tells us that He is... Uh, when you're the firstborn, that means that there are others coming behind you. There are others who are born after. You can't be... Uh, you'd be the only born if you were uh, the only child. In fact, uh, the Bible talks about Jesus as being the only begotten Son of the Father. But here He's referred to as the firstborn of the living and the dead, which means that He is... There are others who will be born in death. That uh, that we're the ones who are to come after Him. That we are overcoming death through what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary, uh, through His resurrection. And we will overcome death in the grave because of what Jesus Christ did for us and because of what He did. He gives us hope. And we are to worship Him because of the hope that we receive uh, by Him being the one who is the firstborn of the living and the dead. Uh, how, uh, you know, this just gives us an understanding of, of who Jesus Christ is as well because uh, we are to worship Him uh, because of, of, the, of what He has done. Not just because of who He is, because He's, the, uh, uh, he's God incarnate, because of Him being a part, uh, He is God Himself, but also because of what He's done. He, uh, he died on the cross. He, he lived the, uh, a life that was completely without sin so that He could go to the cross for us. He could be the example for, uh, for us and that He is the sacrifice for us, that He paid the penalty of our sins because we, we haven't, uh, because of our sin, we can't pay the penalty of our sin for ourselves. We must, uh, if without Jesus Christ, we would have uh, died a horrible death of eternity without God 
because of that sin separating us. But because Jesus Christ lived a life without sin, we're able to, uh, He was able to be our sacrifice for us, to die on the cross for us, to go and pay the penalty uh, for us so that we might have life in Him. And so we worship Him not just simply because of who He is, but what He has done, and that gives us that hope. And we also worship Him because He is the Prince of kings of the earth. Uh, It also says in verse 5 that He is not only the firstborn of the begotten of the dead, and He is also the Prince of the king of the earth. This is... We worship Him because of His authority, because He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, He is worthy of our worship because there's no place that we can go on this earth that He should not be uh, worshipped. There's no one who lives on this earth, who lives ever, who should not worship Him because of who He is. Romans 13 uh, also tells us that any authority that is exercised by any uh, uh, government or uh, any ruler on this earth, any man on this earth, is a borrowed authority from God. God gives him that authority, and it is because of, of God that he has that authority. And so we are to worship Jesus Christ because of who he is, being uh, a God. Uh, incarnate. We worship Him because of what He has done. We worship Him because of His authority. And that should be enough. We we shouldn't have to uh, have anything else, but because uh, we also worship Him because He is uh, what He has done for us in His work. Verse 8, uh, look what it... Verse 8, that is, that's not right. Verse 6, excuse me. And He hath made us kings and priests unto God His Father. Uh, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We worship Him because of His love. His love is, uh, is why He gave Himself for us. He loved us so much and he, uh, uh, that He gave of Himself so that He would uh, pay the penalty of our sins. He washed us and He made us kings and priests. Um. That's actually in verse 5 and 6. It says, uh, we, He is the uh, Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of kings of the earth unto Him, look, that loved us. He loved us and paid all the penalty for us. He loved us so much that He left the splendor of heaven and came to be on this earth to live not as as God, but to live as a lowly creation, to live as one of us. He lived in our midst. He lived fully human so that He might express His love in the things that He did and the way in which He lived. He loved us, verse 5, and washed us from our sins in His own blood. This is how He showed us His love, that He washed us in His blood, cleansing us from our sins so that we might be made uh, complete and whole with Him. 
and He made us kings and priests. Uh, not only did He uh, love us and wash us, but He restored us to that place in which we should be a part of the family of God. That We should not uh, be just simply forgiven, but he's, the Bible tells us that uh, that we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ, that we are uh, adopted into the family of God. There's no greater love uh, that God would show us that, that He would send His Son to die on the cross that we might be adopted heirs, co-heirs with Jesus Christ, the Bible says, that we would make, be made a, a part of the family of God and that we would be a, a part of the royal priesthood of believers. And so we are made kings and priests to be a part of the family of God. And so we wor- uh, worship Him and we would worship Him forever and ever. That uh, that He will eternally uh, be due our worship. And so this, uh, this aspect of, of worship... Uh, calls us into what type of relationship do we have with God? Do we do we truly have a a, a right relationship with God that we understand uh, that we're not simply uh, coming to this place uh, and doing the things that we always do because it's what's expected of us. Or are we coming here to worship God because uh, He is worthy of our worship? We're worshiping Jesus Christ because He's worthy of our worship because of who He is, because of what He's done, because of His testimony, because of His uh, expression of His love towards us, because of what He's done for us on the cross of Calvary. Do we we come uh, out of a sense of obligation or are we coming because of our sense of a relationship with God? And we need to ask ourselves, what is our relationship to God? Do we really worship Him? Are we really about the worship of Jesus Christ? John calls us from the very beginning to this right understanding of of who Jesus Christ is, one who is worthy of our worship, one who uh, is uh, exalted above all others. Because really that's the... When you get down to it, it's the summation of what Revelation is all about. Is is a call to people to a right relationship with God, and we'll see as we go through the book of Revelation that that these all things are coming. So the call is we are to worship Jesus Christ now while we have the opportunity. Before all these things happen, before all these judgments of God, before God rains down His eternal judgment upon the earth, we're called to have a right relationship to God now while we still can because the time is coming short where men will no longer have that opportunity to worship Him because God's wrath, His judgment is coming. The righteousness of God will be uh, 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 expressed to mankind and there will be no more room uh, for mankind to to make decisions after that, that God's judgment is coming. So now is the time to worship Him, and it calls us to to ask ourselves: Are we right with God now? What 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 
you need to ask yourself, am I ready for God, for Jesus Christ to come today? Am I ready for the end? Am I, you know, uh, in this situation with this young lady that uh, was in a car accident on Friday, gone Saturday, I imagine if you would have sat there in the classroom beside her as a student or in there as a substitute teacher or met her in the hallway in the class uh, in the school that day she would have not had the second thought about the fact that she wouldn't have another day in that school we're not assured of another moment on this earth we're not assured of making it out of this worship service we're not assured of of making it back to our own homes we might, we might have something happen to us or we might just, like that, cease to exist. Our life extinguished for whatever reason. Are you ready today? Are you in a right relationship with Jesus Christ? Is God King of your life? Is, is God the ruler of your heart? And if He is, are you worshiping Him in the right way. Are you worshiping God out of obligation or worshiping Him because He's worthy of our worship? Are we worshiping Jesus Christ in the right way? Isaiah chapter 1. This is the last time that you turn. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament and... Um, verse 10 says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, and give ear unto the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now this, this all happened uh, when Isaiah was writing, Sodom and Gomorrah were just a memory. They were already, they'd already been destroyed. But what he's saying here is, is, look, you people of Israel, this is written to Israel, but it could be written to us today. You people are living like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of goats. He says, "What is? you're just going through the motions of slaughtering all these animals. What's the whole purpose of what you're doing, these burnt offerings that you're giving? When you come and appear before me, who hath required this of your hand to tread my courts. He says, look, your worship is nothing but a trampling of my, worship, of my sanctuary. You're doing nothing but trampling on the holiness of my sanctuary with your, your offerings, your your." Uh, goats and lambs and your oxen, all these sacrifices that you're doing. He says, bring no more vain obligations. Incense is an abomination unto me. In the new moons and Sabbaths, the callings of assemblies, I uh, I cannot away with. It is an iniquity, even the solemn meanings. He says, all the things that you're doing in my name, they're meaningless because of your attitude. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. 
And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. He says, you're coming to worship and your attitude is so awful. It's an abomination to me. He says, you're coming to me with such filth in your life and you're doing all these things and they're not... Uh, they're not, they're worthless to me. He says, wash you and make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well and seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed and judge the fearless and plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are, though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He says, look, you're coming to me with all this sin and filth and you're going through all these motions of, of worship and it means nothing to me. But come to me. Learn to be pure of heart. He says, look... Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil. When we come to God, we need to come to God with a pure heart. We need to come to God, not anything that we can do to cleanse ourselves. We need to come to God in repentance. We need to come to Him in seeking God's face that we might be clean and pure before Him. We need to come and worship Jesus Christ in the right attitude, in the right actions with a clean heart. We don't simply need to just come into church and, and come in and sing a bunch of songs and listen to a bunch of uh, words and then go home and, and pat ourselves on the back and say how good we are. We need to come to God in contrition in our heart with a desire to be pure before Him, with repentance in our breath. <laughs> Seeking God seeking to be in a right relationship with Him and asking God to forgive us. And then worship Jesus Christ in a proper way, in a proper attitude because of what He has done, because of who He is, because of what He will do. And then maybe, possibly, we'll worship God. We'll worship Jesus Christ in an acceptable way. Maybe then our worship will be acceptable unto Him.